chase, okay? What are you guys selling? If you're drowning and I throw you a life jacket, would you grab it? Yes, good. Pick up 200 shares. I won't let you down. Pay him. Pay that man his money. Ask them how they'd like to see 30, 40% returns. What are they going to say? No? I don't want to see those returns? Where's the money, Lebowski? You're going to make a lot of money, right? Be aggressive. Learn how to push. Show them a 3% return. I'll trust you to watch his kids for the weekend. I'm a big fan of money. Move around. Motion creates emotion. I did not know that. That's it. I'm done. Hello and welcome back to Action Giants. I'm Tom Allen. Smith Weber on the board. Uh, SP Futures are up 21. NASDAQ Futures up 76. We're trying to bounce back from uh, yesterday. We'll see that we do. We'll see if we do. Uh, yesterday we were we were down for the first time in a while. The... Um, uh, we were down eh, really almost as much as we were up the day before. Lou, how are you? Lou, are you there? Ah, there we got plugged in. I just heard the connection. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Oh, just uh, just peachy. It's uh, you know we're we're actually getting a touch of summer here. Finally, uh, we had uh, had a bunch of snow earlier in the uh, earlier in the week and uh, some cold temperatures, but it's shaping up now. What did you guys end up with in terms of? Uh uh, winter moisture? Are you are you even? Are you under? Where are you in snow cap and stuff? Uh, snowpack throughout the states at a hundred percent, but they're uh, they're worried that it's going to be dry for the next couple of weeks, and uh, that it'll it'll drop uh, it'll drop below norms. Typically, the highest snowpack in the state hits towards the end of March, beginning of April. And uh, we're afraid. They're afraid we're not gonna we're not gonna meet that right now. But but for right now, the snowpack statewide is is good. So it's not horrible. It's not like another drought year or anything like that yet. Uh, not for not for snow. Not yet. No, we're uh, we're kind of we're kind of curious what's going to happen uh, in the spring. It, last year we had a weird one. We had a very wet spring, which resulted in lots of uh, vegetation and and greenery, and then. Precipitation just basically stopped after uh, after August, and uh, we had very little rain, no snow until December, and uh, it was a very very unusual uh, situation. So we're, we're, things were things were very dry, and we're we're kind of hoping we get a we get a good pulse of of moisture over the course of the spring. Otherwise, we're going to have some fire problems. Um, well, the more you, the, you when you get all the good uh, rain in the spring, and then it dries out, then you're kind of skunk, right? Yeah, that's that's the fear. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of vegetation that uh, that dried up over the uh, over the fall that, that we're we're kind of concerned about. And you know, we're it, there's a there are big sections of of Colorado. I say big sections. There are sections of Colorado where you see a lot of of uh, pine beetle kill because the pine beetles ravaging some of the pine forests around here. You'll see you'll see some of that around Breckenridge, in fact. But all of that dead dead pine makes for uh, you know like an instant instant fire situation if uh, if something gets started there. It's like a Christmas tree that's been in a house for two weeks. Something something like that, yeah. Or uh, what's the what's the old term? Fatwood. Are you familiar with what fatwood is? Uh, no. Okay, so so fatwood is a is a pine that that's become saturated with resin with the pine sap. Okay. It dries out, and uh, a fatwood, uh, fatwood log or fatwood sticks are like these perfect fire starters. You can you can actually buy a box of these things, you know, that that have been cut up and and uh, 
are ready to are ready to light. But they they will ignite, you know, they'll ignite at the touch of anything, and they burn ferociously. So uh, a situation like that, you know, when you've got a forest full of trees that are like that, is uh, is a nightmare. Well, it's uh, even in this area, uh, we had a. I don't think it's there anymore. I mean, I don't know, but I, it was uh, there was a drought area. It was the the counties, like two or three counties in northern northeast Illinois and southeast Wisconsin. Even all the rest of the areas around them were okay. So I mean, it can be very localized. I mean, uh, I mean, drought. Oh, 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 yeah. I mean, so I don't. I don't think, for example, up around around the, the western slope area, <clears throat> they've had a lot of snow, and so that moisture is going to. We hope that moisture will will you know kind of dampen down the the, the fire danger. Um, if you if you want to read some interesting stuff, and I think I've mentioned the book on the air before, it's a book called Under the Burning Sky, and it it's a by a, a author who wrote some has written some terrific history books, The Boys in the Boat, and some other stuff. But but this this particular book is about a, a fire, a forest fire in Minnesota back in the Late 1800s, when they were, you know, they were cutting, um, you know, they had a huge pine forest, and they were they were cutting all of them down to for lumber for Chicago and to rebuild Chicago after the fire there. And uh, it, it's about a, a wildfire that converged on this little this little town in Minnesota, and you know, killed hundreds of people. And but but it's it's a great discussion about about forest fires generally. He goes into a lot of the science about. About wildfires and, and what happens when temperatures get above a certain point, and you get you get certain kinds of, of convection patterns, and um, it in, in a lot of awful descriptions about you know what happens to people when when they get near something like that. But a really interesting discussion about um, people observing things that at the time everybody just thought they were hallucinating, and and. and you know, losing their minds because of exposure to the extreme. Well, now it's easy. No matter what happens, it's global warming. Well, yeah. Uh, you, you read you read about these this fire, these fires, and this particular fire, and you'll understand that this is a this has been an issue for you know for centuries. I mean, wildfires wildfires are so common that that we had in, in you know in the history of these forests that you have pine trees that adapted to to Burning every you know, with regularity, such that their seeds didn't deploy until a, a fire came through and and heated the uh, the pine cones uh, sufficiently for them to pop open. So if they've adapted to to fire, it gives you an indication that the, it was pretty it was pretty common. Well, what uh, we got we got a weather discussion. We got other stuff to talk about, but after I, mean, I, I don't think it would have been cult, you know human human stuff and cult. In a global warming, what what was the official well, official? What a stupid question! What was the official? I'll ask anyway, What was the official reason for something like the Dust Bowl, like a six or seven year, like total drought in a big area? Was it was it like La Nina, La Nina or what, the other one? What's the other one? The uh, La, El, La Nina and El Nino. Yeah, was it was it something like that, or was there any reason for it, or just uh, it just happened? It it was a it was a weather pattern as I understand it it was a weather pattern that uh, has the potential to repeat uh, like like most patterns but it was a, it was a recognized weather pattern where the jet stream just bypassed 
the uh, the central part of the state of the country. It didn't drop down low enough to uh, to pull cooler air in and, and you know, get the get the kind of uh, moisture impact that you that you have from the from the air coming up from the from the Gulf. And and the I mean the issue with with climate was it a climate change? I don't. I mean, it was a change in the climate that lasted for, you know, years. But I don't think it was any more unusual in terms of our geologic history than, or meteorological history, than the drought that killed the Anzazi, uh in the in the Southwest and destroyed destroyed the Native American cultures there. You know that that was a drought that lasted for what a hundred years. But I, uh, I thought that shut down their their cultures. But some somehow there's always somebody who knows something that says, "Well, here it's, it's been it was caused by increased solar activity, decreased solar activity, something, something." What was the uh, the little ice age uh, caused by? It was uh, where uh, you know where Washington you know had to go through the ice in the Delaware? That was in the little ice age, right? It was a period of about fifteen years or ten years that was appreciably colder. But usually, there's well, somebody. There I mean, there's some local impacts, like like you know the the Tambora volcano, that or some of the other monster volcanoes in Indonesia that erupted. I mean, it was one that erupted in what 600. Well, that was and, the one that had the big catastrophe and, yeah. and and shut the climate, shut the uh, temperature down for for four or five years. That was a great book, by the way. If you're, well, actually, it's a horrible book, <laughs> but but it's interesting to read. Catastrophe is that the one? Because they had a, a TV series on that for a bit. I, I think that I think it's referenced there, and then there was an eruption I think in 1813 that that you know caused a worldwide uh, famine for for yeah. a year because you know nothing grew in Europe. What um, um, you know? I, I want to get into some of these. Uh, talk to you, Mar, a global guy about uh, some global grain prices and stuff in a minute. But you know, you know, the guy who uh, wrote that book, you know how he he discovered. That, that that had happened it was actually like in 585 or something um, yeah. you, know, you know how he discovered how that happened uh, was that the tree rings yeah the tree rings yeah the tree rings look at the tree rings because in at Medellin, uh for some reason there's a lot of big huge old trees around that people I guess in Britain it's considered a, a big collector's item to have a like a table, you know, dining. I mean, what do you want to call it? Like a coffee table, for lack of a better term. That is a, uh, you know, it's like a half inch slice of this one of these old trees that are huge. You know, it's a big table. So um, this guy's sitting there, probably drinking booze, and he looks down and he's studying it because he was a, you know, he knew a lot about trees, and he starts studying, and he sees like five or ten lines that are really close together, right, Lou? Right in the middle of the uh, tree. Oh yeah, thin, thin lines, thin lines. Packed together, right? And, and, and virtually no growth. Yeah, and he said, "No, wait a minute. What years were those?" And the trees were old enough to where he was able to trace back. And he kept looking, 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 and sure enough, everywhere he looked, and then to, to the extent that there was any literature at the time, and he looked for differences in uh, cultures and things like that. And all of a sudden, everywhere you looked, there were there were changes. You know, people that had horses they used to kick ass, and the people who had cattle, all of a sudden weren't kicking ass anymore, they were getting their ass kicked, that kind of thing, because horses are, are much less, uh, well, they're, they're not as sturdy of animals as, as cattle are when it comes to living and dying, right, Lou? Um, 
Anyway, but he, it became a huge, and it ended up being what? Some massive volcanic eruption underwater in Indonesia or someplace? It was, uh, it was, I, I don't know if it was Tambora, but it was one of the, one of the large Indonesian volcanoes, and it had exploded and threw a huge dust cloud up into the atmosphere. For like weeks and crack, months. Crack. Yeah, I mean, it was like yeah. weeks oh, and yeah. months. No, no, yeah. it, it was, it was a, like a super eruption. Well, because it was underwater, and water kept pouring into it and like boiling up and out, right? Or some bizarre thing. Um, it, I don't think the volcano was underwater. I think the volcano was above water, but it kept having these cataclysmic explosions because because water was getting into the magma chamber. Yeah, was, water was getting in somehow, and uh, and then we kept kept blowing. But anyway, uh, <laughs> want to change change gears a little bit? Uh, our our young lady uh, Angelique is coming on tomorrow to talk about uh, what's going on over in Ukraine, and uh, that should be interesting because I guess her day off tomorrow, but. Uh, but, uh, Is she in communication with people? There? Yeah, and it's what Kevin's going to be asking about: what communication? How do you do the communication? What's working? And uh, that's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting feature that the the Russians have not shut down the cell phone network. They haven't they haven't jammed, and they've got a very well developed electronic warfare capability. But they haven't shut down the cell phone network, and and they haven't shut down the uh, the internet uh, system for Ukraine. I'm I'm kind of surprised. I, uh, there are a couple of theories as to why they haven't done that. One of which is that their own in, their own internal communication equipment is so lousy that they need to have cell phone network up so that they can talk to each other. Um, That's probably the but, truth. But you know, it's it's really it's really or, or they they think that they've got an advantage with their social media stuff. But I don't see how that works given the videos we've seen of Ukrainian tractors towing Russian tanks and personnel carriers uh, off the off the battlefield. But but it, it's surprising that they have that that every you know that electronic communication systems are still working over there. Well, isn't uh, again? I'm, I'm asking you because I've, my information I got out of books like Red Storm Rising and Hunt for Red October and so forth. But Elon Musk is you know patting himself on the back. Does anybody pat themselves on the back more than that guy? I mean, he deserves it some, but anyway, he's pretty good at it. Uh, can can a like an F-15 easily take out a satellite? No, not easily. Well, but it can be done. It can be done, right? It's been done once. We did it. We demonstrated it once when the when the Soviets were were beginning to work their anti satellite capability in the eighties. We strapped a modified, I think it was a short range attack missile, uh, a SRAM called a SRAM, onto uh, an F fifteen and uh, zoom climbed it to about sixty five or seventy thousand feet, and then it fired the missile and uh, and struck a satellite. I think in low Earth orbit. So yeah, we've demonstrated that capability once. So no, it's not easy. But I mean, if if, if the Russians really wanted Tesla's stuff out of the air, they could have get it out of the air, probably. Oh, I think they'd have a tough time. I think they'd have a tough time taking down Tesla's satellites. It, it would create. It would create. For one thing, one one satellite destroyed in orbit creates such a cl- debris cloud. You, you you remember they just did this? Yeah. Uh, what less than a year ago, I think. And it created a, a huge uh, incident, you know, danger to the space station and everything else. So, so you don't, you don't, and, and and remember, you know, Starlink is not dependent on one satellite. You've got to, you, you'd have to knock down, you know, hundreds to to appreciably affect the ability of that network. They would, they would be much. It would be much easier for them to to simply jam the Starlink uh, signal bands. Okay. And and shut it down that way. But again, I 
I don't I don't know if they're doing that. I haven't heard that they're doing that. They're not doing it with anything else, and I find that very surprising. Well, like you say, it's probably they're probably using it. Well, yeah, and, and so that that tells you something. If they need the if they need the cell phone systems up and operating because their own radio comms are are, are so lousy, um, or that they're or uh, that 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 tells you something about their logistics issues. Uh, I think that's a likely explanation. The other explanation is that they are gleaning a lot of information off cell phone uh, communications that uh, you know. I mean, maybe the Ukrainians are using it as such a, a viable and useful source of information. They don't, they don't want to shut that. The Russians don't want to shut that down. I, I find that difficult to believe. I mean, from a from a propaganda perspective, they are they are losing the information war badly here with the video that the Ukrainians have been able to distribute, showing you know helicopters being shot down and tanks being blown up and and things like that. What? Uh where, where do you where do you put uh, the situation right now? I mean, it, it looks to me like uh, uh, strategically the Russians might be somewhat losing, but boy, the cost to the Ukrainian people is they they go more and more towards sort of general general blasting. Is that I don't know who I don't know who's winning. Do you? Um, I would say right now that the Ukrainians are prevailing to the extent that. The Russians are not achieving what they thought was good, or the Russians haven't achieved what their initial goal was, which I think was a very quick kind of decapitation of the government and and movement in there to essentially take over the country in in a, a relatively fast and relatively bloodless way. Um, but I, I mean, I, I think what is going to happen or, or could happen here. Is, is something comparable to what you saw in, in the eastern provinces, where you've got Russia dominating a, a fair amount of area of Ukraine, but with a constant, you know, level of conflict that is is continuous uh, and 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 doesn't and doesn't go away for a long time. And and I mean, I, I this is going to sound cold blooded, but from a strategic perspective. You know, this this has a lot of advantages to the West. It bleeds it bleeds uh, Russian equipment. It damages Russian morale and international um, you know international position. And and I mean it, it it has some has some real impact on the ability of of Putin and the rest of the uh, the people there to, uh, to to operate anywhere else but but Ukraine. It also has the advantage, I think. Of, of continuing to align the West and Western nations uh, against uh, uh, the what you know the, the president President Reagan referred to as the axis of evil, because the people that are supporting Russia, China, North Korea, you know these other these other dictatorships, uh, and and India to a certain extent. Yeah, I don't really get uh, that. I don't really get are that. Are revealing one. are revealing themselves for us. Yeah, what is what is what is their shtick with that? Why would they want to be allied with them instead of uh, the West? Well, there I think their perspective is well. First of all, there's a lot of anti-Western sentiment in India because we talked about this because of the colonial, the colonial, yeah. recent colonialist uh, history. So that's number one. But but number two, you know they've they've always tried to stand astride the the uh, Russia 
West conflict with a foot in, in either in either camp and, and you know, try to play both sides off against the middle. So they're right now benefiting from the purchase like China, from the purchase of cheap Russian oil that that can benefit their their economy dramatically. They're uh, benefiting from Russian expertise on their weapon systems, uh, and and they they are a, a big customer for for uh, Russia with with uh, aircraft. All right, and, all right and so when you say cheap Russian oil, I, I can't imagine they buy oil at a discount from Russia, or do they? They are buying oil at a discount from Russia. Well, I mean, or the Chinese. All right, so the world price is eighty bucks a barrel, and, and Russia's selling to them for twenty. When yeah, broke? because the Russians, because the Russians right now are having difficulty getting oil on their markets. We've shut that down. Okay, so right, right now it's 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 going at a discount, but normally they're paying market price, right? Yes. Well, sure, but but so so that you know that is a is a factor for them. So they're they're benefiting they're benefiting directly on this, and and I mean. Again, I think that's that's a useful. It's useful to have this kind of thing exposed. It, it's also, I think, indicative or useful um, for us to get these kinds of indications about, you know, exactly what people think about our current administration in terms of international, you know, international efforts. The 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 it, it, it's maddening to me to watch the administration. I don't know if this has continued to go on, but. But in the early part of this conflict, they were, you know, they were te- courting, and I think they still are to, to a great extent. They were courting the Iranians, you know, in an effort to try to get more oil pumped out and to and to get this deal done. Because again, the ideologues in their foreign policy, in the Biden foreign policy establishment, believe that you know we've got to we've got to let Iran have its have its its weapons, and and we we can continue to. To deal with them as a as a legitimate uh, player in the Middle East, rather than isolating them. Well, well the, uh, that, that's one of the reasons why the Israelis and the Saudis are not taking Joe Biden's phone calls. Well, the uh, well, the so idea I think, of so I think for, from a very cold blooded perspective, this this is a, a conflict that that has exposed a lot. Well, when much uh, of it useful when when all right, if you, let's dig into that a little bit after the break. But just to, to prep it when. Trump pulled us out of the agreement with Iran. All right, where, where did that leave us? I mean, what, kind of just naked without an agreement with any? They could they could do whatever they want, or, or I mean, we pull it now to get back in. They could know, do whatever they wanted anyway, and they did do whatever they wanted. Pretty much. Yeah. So so the point. I mean, Trump Trump's move on the agreement was this is a stupid agreement because all we're doing is giving them money to do the things that they were going to do anyway. Well, the, the money was money that was owed, right? I don't think so. Sure, it was from the Shah's well, era. Well, I, mean, you ever, I mean, maybe, maybe in maybe in some kind of mercantilist worldview, it might have been owed to them. But uh, I, I at that stage, I don't think it was owed. It might have been owed to the government. Well, the, of the question, Shah. Well, yeah, but I'm saying it's like are the are the are the are the uh, Germans going to pay for the. The gold bonds, bare gold bonds they let out in the 30s, the answer is no. I mean, yeah, so, I mean they, they cut that deal, those, the payment was for those weapon systems that went to the Shah's government. Why should we, you know, that government's gone. Why should we, why should we pay a government, you know, and whether it's, it's quote, owed, 
yeah, I mean, if you're, if as I said, the mercantilist worldview, maybe it, maybe it was. I don't think it was. Well, they they sent progress payments for they being somebody in Iran sent progress payments for stuff that was never delivered after the revolution, and the money never went yeah. back. So uh, that, that, that's that's politics, baby. Okay, but I'm, if if it's your or my money, we're saying, hey, hey, buddy, it's not yours either, you know. Just, uh, well, but I, I, I don't think I don't think that money was owed. I don't think there was an, an owe, you know. And, and if they wanted to, if they wanted to sue us, they could sue us. All right, I'm just I'm just saying that the money was brought here and they ended up with nothing. Whether it's owed or not, or when, when there's a regime change, that's above my pay grade. But I'm saying the money came here and the F-14s didn't go there. Is all I'm saying. Uh, yes, and as a result of the as a result of the regime yes, change, yes, uh, regime change. That's, that's what happens. But we wouldn't be real happy if uh, Trump's out, Biden's in. We don't owe you <laughs> that type of thing. I mean, um, I don't, I don't, I can't imagine a situation like that developing. But the short answer is, I don't think the money was owed owed uh, to to Iran. I don't think, I think it was. I don't think it was. Them, I think we gave them a billion, whatever it was, in cash. That they promptly used to fund operations against our people in uh, in Iraq and Syria. I, I'm not saying and I would against get... the Israelis and the Saudis. I'm not saying and, I would have given and, it to them trust either. Me, the Israelis and the Saudis know that and remember that. I I'm not I'm not so sure that I would have done it that way either. Matter of fact, I probably wouldn't have. Uh, but the idea that that let's put it this way: the money wasn't ours; it was somebody's. <laughs> Whether it, whether it stays or stays in escrow for the next thirty years till they get their act together, maybe I would have done something like that. But but it, it wasn't McDonnell Douglas's either, Lou, because they didn't deliver the planes. We didn't give it to McDonnell Douglas. Are we sure? Uh, we we released that. We released some money back to them. So I'm, I guess my my response to that is I'm I'm not whatever that wherever that money went. You know, it, we we held on to it, or we we held it in some kind of a in some kind of an account. The reason why I'm disagreeing we, with we you, we dispersed it back to him. It's a terrible idea. It wasn't owed, not in any context that I that I'm willing to admit. And uh, and it was a it was a stupid idea. All right. The, the reason why I'm just going to go through how this works because I've I did this on rail car contracts is is what you do. Let's let's worry about it after break because um, it's interesting how. A lot of the stuff we're, we're buying right now is maybe being done the same way, Lou. SP futures are up 28, and as if he's up 108, we're back about half half of what we uh, lost yesterday. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. 
Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do at PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, and jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back to Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Al, Mr. Weber on the board. S and P futures, uh, we're up twenty eight fifty. So it's a pretty good move here. You know, uh, we we're down yesterday. We're coming back. I want to say, well, we'll know in a second. Uh, Nasdaq futures up 110. Dow futures up 166. Uh, individual stocks. Virtually everything in the Dow is green here. The Apple up a dollar 38. Apple's up like 25 hours in the last two weeks. I mean, some of these stocks have had just massive run-ups as we've seen this, uh, I don't know if it's the suckers rally, the, uh, the new bull market, what it is here, but, uh, it's been pretty violent from the bottom, and some people would say a bear market rally are the ones that are most violent. Well, it could be a bear market rally. It could not be. We won't know for a while. That's how, that's how these things work, Matty. You never really know, do you? Uh, over in Europe, we've got the uh, DAX down 27.2%, FTSE up 14.19, CAC around up two flat. So amazingly slow in Europe today. I don't know why that all is, but it is. Over in Asia, Nikkei up 70.2%, Shanghai down 20.6%. Hang Seng down 208, that's a full 1%. Uh, they were up huge yesterday with a couple of individual stacks really, uh, uh, really up. Some of the, some of the Singapore's, uh, travel related stacks were up today because some places, uh, <clears throat> uh, got rid of some of the, uh, some of the COVID measures. By the way, Maddie's gonna tell you how the guy in the Knicks can, or the Nets can play now. What's his name? Kyrie Irving? Uh, yeah, this week. As a way of, uh, review, yesterday the Dow was down 448. S&P down 55, so I'm saying we're right back halfway. 
Nasdaq down 186. Uh, bonds are uh, up five basis points, 2.38. That's probably the highest we've seen in a bit. Uh, the bond, uh, positive 0.53, so a long way from the, the negative it dipped into, I'm going to say, three weeks ago. Uh, Japan up two basis points to 0.25. Uh, oil. Uh, up a whole penny, 114.94, but still 114.94 is high. Rent up 31 cents, 121.91. Natural gas unchanged, 5.22. Our Bob uh, down a penny at 3.41. Uh, we've got gold up another 9.20, Um Silver up 12 cents, 25.31. Copper up a penny at uh, 4.79. And our favorite crypt, uh, crypto, <clears throat> Bitcoin is up 7.69, 43,048. Matty, what do you got for us? Trevi Weather Sports. We got all kinds of gas lines this morning. What's that all about? Yeah, a lot of gas giveaways that are causing some closures on side streets. Uh, 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there on this uh, Thursday, March 24th. We're off to a great start on the area expressways. We're seeing a little bit of slowdown near O'Hare on the Kennedy, but that's the only red on the screen right now. Nice and quiet on the Edens. Uh, Kennedy is quiet in both directions as you approach downtown. Same for the Eisenhower and Stevenson. Southside expressways are looking good as well. Off the expressways, looks like there's a crash on uh, at Tui and California, uh, up in the northern suburbs. Uh, that says it's a crash with injuries, so it looks like a significant crash that happened in the last hour. And then in the far southwestern suburbs, Route 53 at Illinois 7, there's an accident blocking the left lane. Uh, but that's uh, all there is as far as accidents are concerned. As Chief mentioned, there are some uh, slowdowns uh, on some uh, side streets due to the gas giveaways that are going on this morning. Uh, for example, northbound Narragansett is closed at Montrose uh, due to the, the gas giveaway. There's also a closure uh, on Tui uh, between Sheridan and, uh, uh, well, it doesn't say between the other street. It just says between. I'll just say Tui and Sheridan is closed due to the gas giveaway. So, yeah, there's a, a few of those, but not affecting any significant traffic on any of the expressways or anything like that. Weather today, uh, we're kicking off a streak of some kind of miserable cold weather uh, today that's uh, for the foreseeable future after we had a stretch of pretty nice uh, warm temperatures, rainy and in the 40s. Uh, for the next uh, seven days, according to the forecast. Today, uh, rainy with a high of 46. Right now, it's overcast and 45 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, sunshine with a high of 86 today. Right now, it's clear and 55. In sports, Bulls were off last night. They're back in action tonight down in New Orleans to take on the Pelicans. That's a 7 p.m. tip-off. Suns beat up the Timberwolves, 125-116. In hockey, the Blackhawks doubled up the uh, Ducks last night, 4-2. And lastly, the Sweet 16 is uh, tipping off tonight as the NCAA tournament returns. There's four games uh, in action tonight, including two number one seeds. Number one, Gonzaga, takes on number four, Arkansas. Number one, Arizona, takes on number five, Houston, which should be a terrific game. And then there's also two number two seeds uh, in action tonight. Number two, Villanova versus number 11, Michigan, one of just two Big Ten teams in the Sweet 16. And number two, Duke versus number three, Texas Tech, which... Um, could be the game of the night, and a lot of people are picking Texas Tech, which could be uh, Coach K's last game. Uh, so we'll see how that plays out. They're actually favored. Yeah, Texas Tech. Uh, I've seen them in a pick em, but a lot of money's coming in on them, and they may be favored now. This my this girl, uh, Karen Gilchrist, is she, uh, writing for CNBC. She must be like a, a jolted girlfriend to lose or something. I'm reading this article. It says here... Uh, I say what? The uh, as... <laughs> the as 
As your waters of southwest Turkey saw the arrival of, of two multi-million dollar super yachts this week reportedly belonging to Colorado attorney Lou Michaels, to avoid, yeah. his, his voyage to circumvent western sanctions continues. The eclipse, I don't even, I think this would be a chump change for Lou. A 533-foot, six-story super yacht, one of the largest in the world, docked in the nearby resort town of Mar- Marmaris, Turkey, uh, complete with two helipads, two swimming pools, a disco hall, and a mini submarine. It joins the five, 458-foot Solaris, must be a, a dinghy compared to this thing, another luxury lot yanked to the blah, blah, blah. They, 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 go, they sneak around Greece and made it to Turkey. Lou, how did, how did you chart that course? Uh, with GPS, <laughs> I, I knew he figured out. I, I got my Garmin. I mean, if I'm if I'm driving the boat, I've got my Garmin. You know, my Garmin watch on that pretty much talks me through the inlets. What the? <laughs> I mean, who, who exactly? Just out of curiosity, I, I, actually, I actually this is going to sound terrible. I actually have some familiarity with these kinds of vessels because in my short-lived uh, life as a uh, as a CEO of a 3d printing design operation um, we, we actually this is this is one of the markets for 3d printing of uh, you, you, you print uh, and or manufacture custom parts and custom I don't know accessories for these kinds of, of boats because you know, 3D printing of metal is, is expensive, and, and a 3D printing process is expensive and slow. And and so, really, but if money is no object, and you want, for example, doorknobs that are imprinted in a certain style, like with your crust. <laughs> you got to be kidding me! You can, you, 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 no, I'm not. You can have to, uh, so so. There were boats, for example, that. The, the owners wanted uh, doorknobs and and uh, poles for uh, drawers on on cabinets to be to all bear the initials of the owner and and forging and laser cutting something like that was problematic given the the, the construction materials that he wanted he wanted them made out of titanium so. 3D printing was the way to go. So you, you, you print up, you know, you get 40 or 50 of these uh, printers to, uh, to to start working and putting out doorknobs and poles and handles and things like that. So when you when you walk in to design this thing and somebody goes, well, here's one for 530 feet, and you go, ah, it's not big enough. Well, here's a 535. Nah, it's too expensive. Let's make it 530. I mean, I, how, do you even, how do you even decide a... I just kind of crap. <laughs> that's that's not no no no. You you got it all wrong. When you walk in to to get a boat like this, you don't you don't look at the boat design that they put in front of you. You look at the boat design of somebody that you're competing with, and you say, "How long is that boat? That boat's three hundred and ninety six feet long. I want a boat that's four hundred feet." Ah. And that that's what they do. That that drives that drives this. What the and, hell? and you know, many, many of these things are custom built. Obviously, you, know, you don't you don't go down to the Yachts R Us store and and look at what's available. You you custom you custom build these things. When I was down in the Bahamas, we did a lecture. This is a long time ago, yeah, two thousand and one or something. 
I walked out of the. We were at what's the big place that has the Michael Jordan bridge? The uh, uh, Atlantis. Yeah, Atlantis. And they got a, they got a you know a, a dock there, right? Or I mean, a, a, whatever. I mean, a mooring area, whatever you want to call it. And I was walking along the a marina. Marina, yes. And uh, I don't even know. What, some of those things, to me, they were huge, and they were probably you know a hundred feet, hundred and twenty-five feet, or something. I mean, they were. I mean, five hundred. <laughs> it's kind of a for God's sake. It's it's pretty big. So how do you, well, yeah. I mean, they're they're ocean going they're ocean going boats, and you, you can you can custom design them, custom treat them, whatever. Who, who actually like if I'm screwing around in the, in the Mediterranean with one of these things, I, and, and all of a sudden I, I know they want to capture my boat. What what are what are international rules regarding? I can't just pile down the middle of the Mediterranean and say it's it's international waters, stay away from me, or some destroyer is going to pull up next to me, or what? How, how does that all work? I mean, how you, I mean, uh, it, I mean, it's been a, it's been a while since I've I've looked at maritime law, but but I think it's comparable to what happens in in aviation. If you are within the territorial waters or the zone of navigation for a country, you can be you can be see you can be your boat can be seized by the forces of that country. A seizure on the high seas is piracy, and and you know there are some very specific ways you can you can uh, hire pirates if you're a government to uh, to go out and, and they're called letters of mark to go out and seize somebody's boat for on behalf of a government or engage in, in uh, legally sanctioned pirating operations. But but piracy you know piracy is a thing, and if you're if you're on international waters and and somebody comes after your yacht. There is at least in theory a remedy. Well, I mean, but if we have a aircraft carrier hanging around and we see this thing going by and know it's owned by this guy, uh, Roman Abranovich, not Lou Michaels, unfortunately for Lou, uh, we can't just send two helicopters over and say, "All right, move over, buddy. We're starting shooting." Can we? That would be piracy on the high seas. So the answer is we can't do that, even if we if we were well, looking to the answer is if we've got big enough guns yes we can do it but it's illegal okay and we probably wouldn't do it we wait for it to no, be something no because it sets it sets a very dangerous it sets a very dangerous precedent um to uh to to have your your guys out doing stuff like that i mean it opens up you you want to talk about collapsing the international market watch what happens when when the navies of of you know, various countries start engaging in, in sanctioned piracy. This, this, by the way, and, and I, I, I keep referencing some of the books I've read, but there was a, a really interesting book called Ghost Fleet in which a, a sort of an Elon Musk character is hired by the United States to conduct seizure operations in low Earth orbit. And, and he is given a letter of mark by the U.S. Congress to fly up in a, you know, to use his uh, spaceflight capabilities to seize, uh, I, I think he, uh, the, the bad guys in the story are the Chinese, so he, he flies up and, and his own private armed little space army attacks and takes over a Chinese space station and seizes it on behalf of the United States. The Chinese, in this in this book, the Chinese attack Guam and Hawaii and take take a bunch of territory. Uh, to displace the United States in the Pacific, but but one of the one of the side stories is, you know, the the attack on uh, on on Chinese space assets, and it's done via a private 
a private citizen who's given a, a letter of mark to uh, to make a seizure. Sort of like that's a that's a bad precedent. Sort of like what we're doing with the vaccines. We can't tell you to take one, but you're it's, we're giving the, your employer the ability to say you can't work if you don't take one. How how about how about that how about that sort of surprise lift of the vaccine mandates for athletes? Yeah, isn't that scary? In New York City, isn't that scary? If if, if I was a private citizen of running a private business in New York City, I I would be going ballistic right now. You know, oh, if the, you the idea a... that you were going to cut slack for entertainers in that venue. But not for private citizens. I mean, what are you doing? All right, as an as as an attorney, what if uh, PTI, which we did have, or Stacks and Jacks, well, does that does that count for our softball team? Um, I, I think you'd have to have like a softball team that was drawing sixty five or seventy thousand people. Well, and, we, and we if get, you did, then then you then you'd probably get a you'd probably get an exclusion from uh, from uh, Mayor Heavyfoot. Well, the day we had the tournament, what did we have, Matty? 65 people watching. Uh, there you go. Multiply it by a yeah. marketing people to multiply that by a thousand and you're, you're in business. Yeah. It was, uh... I mean, I mean, it, look, look at what's, look at what's happening. I mean, this is again, we are no longer obviously in, in a, in a situation where science is, is driving the train here. The, the CEOs of, of every major airline yesterday sent out a, a letter to the president saying, you need to you need to kill the mass requirements on these airplanes, because because it's pointless. You're you're allowing you're allowing you know hundred thousand people to sit in a stadium and watch a watch an event where where the airflow is not even close to what we've got in terms of our ability to clean clean the air. Nobody cares about that. Why are we still masking on airplanes? Why are we still masking in airports? Um, and and also you need to lift the vaccination require uh, or uh, test requirements. For people who are overseas coming back into the United States, because it's a huge expense. And what do you think the answer is going to be? The answer will be yes at some point. I don't. I don't know. I thought. I thought this administration would be smart enough. As you know, I've got. I've got legal involvement in this issue, in these issues. I thought this administration would be smart enough to lift the the vaccine mandates on federal employers and contractors on uh, at the State of the Union address. Because it was it was a pointless exercise, but but I, I think again I think there are, are elements within the administration that that are so ideologically beholden to COVID fear and 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 promoting this this vaccination idea that they can't bring themselves to do it regardless of of whether it has any effect. Well, you know they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna continue to drive this down to three and four year olds, which I I. I am no scientist, but I think that is that is really something. Uh, Chief, it's, ridic- it's yeah. ridiculous driving it down to people under the age of forty. Well, I, I I get it, but I'm saying that I don't know how you can. One of uh, Audrey's friends, a doctor, uh, was actually telling me that I won't even say if it's a he or a she. I got a letter from somebody in the medical establishment saying that they would lose their license if they spoke out against vaccines. Yeah, and. Uh, she was telling me that, you know, it was uh, at a funeral lunch. I wasn't getting the whole conversation, but so the, the the amount of people that have died of allegedly of COVID, of nothing, and I don't know if it's anything else with it or not, under the age of ten is like thirty countrywide. And she goes, "How do you give a vaccine out to millions of people with the idea that you're only going to kill thirty? I mean, how do you a, a vaccine that is unlicensed? Yeah, 
I don't know, that has not been fully tested. No, it, it, it's fascinating to me, and, and it, it's horrific. And, and it, but it all rolls around this idea, and, and it's, an emotional, it's an emotional reaction. It's not rational that you know, our children are the weakest link, and we have to protect the children, even if it means sticking them with an unlicensed vaccine whose long-term effects, we, about whose long-term effects we know nothing, to, to, to children who face a greater risk from something like the flu than yeah. they do from COVID. And there's no, there's no logic to it. Hey, uh, before uh, I... But, but let, let, me, let me just throw one more angle out here on this, and I, and I, because this, this reflects the frustration, and you can hear it in my voice. This reflects the frustration that we see in litigating these issues. Because you have people like the AMA, you know, quote-unquote authoritative institutions, coming out and taking these positions that are then relied on by the courts in, in justifying the, the actions by, by private employers or, or public employers. You have courts that go, if I go into court right now and say, this, there's no rational basis for an employer to assist on a vaccine mandate for its employees because the vaccines don't, don't stop transmission. And, and the court says, well, but the CDC six months ago said that it does. And that's enough. I'll rely on the CDC. Yeah, it's that's crazy. enough for an employer to be able to say, you have to do this. And, and you, we come back and say, but the CDC was wrong. And, and they've stated, they've, they've changed their position on this. And the court says, well, you know, but I'm not, I'm not going to second guess somebody who wants to rely on that data. And well, when you have these institutions lining up like this, all on one in one direction. Well, you still have there, people wearing very the, hard to litigate this. You out. still have people wearing the "I want to st- rob a stagecoach" handkerchief masks, even though the CDC said those things are useless. Oh, I know, I know. They they used to. I mean, from the get go, we we knew within like a month and a half, two months, that cloth masks weren't working, or at least the way we were masking was not having any impact on how this disease was was being managed. But Lou, you out of all the people. You should realize, and I know you do, because when I say this, you're going to say, I already knew that, that uh, allegedly the big lie, which, you know, Hitler described, he claims that the Jews invented it, of course, but Jews did everything bad, according to Hitler, uh, that the big lie said if, if you do it right, 40% years years after it's been totally debunked and everybody knows it was nothing but a lie, 40% of the people will still believe it if you do it right. I already knew that. I know you. Know, I know you do that. I didn't want to disappoint you. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I know. Hey, a uh, qu- real quick question. Uh, uh, my my brother is, uh, you know, uh, in addition to being the president of PTI Securities, he was a grain trader for quite a while, and he's very into worldwide price of grains and what inflation does to places that we don't even know where the places are. And he correlates, and I'm sure he's not the only one. The Arab Spring and all those things was that like 2011 or something with one of the first times that worldwide grain prices got over essentially $5 a day because yeah. most of the world, uh, if, if, if they can only afford <clears throat> $5 a day for sustenance living, we're not talking about you know the McDonald's Happy Meal or going to Gibson's. We're talking about just making it through the day not hungry. And uh, he's very concerned that as we blow these prices up like we're doing right now, uh, that all that kind of stuff is going to start coming back. Are you... Sensing because you have a much more worldwide view. Are there are there issues in in Gaza for 
because people all of a sudden can't afford the daily ration of grain or is it any of this starting to percolate or, or not? Um, I saw a notice. I saw a notice about some kind of economic crisis in Sri Lanka this morning, um, and and I think I think you're going to start seeing some unrest in in, in places like like the UK, uh, where where the price of just heating your home and, and driving around and, and getting around has has skyrocketed because of the oil. I think you got two impacts. Number one, the the, the grain impact itself out of Ukraine. The, the actual produce, production of, of, of wheat and, uh, and corn, et cetera, out of, out of Ukraine, obviously is going to drop off the, drop off the chart. But also the price of fertilizer, which I think is going to, going to affect the ability of, of people to grow, uh, to grow a lot of different things. That, that's, that's going to skyrocket as well. Is that because fertilizer so comes from Russia? We could be looking at a, and, and this will be, I'll tell you where this will be, a, the biggest impact is in a place like China or India. Yeah, that's um, what I'm saying. They're not self-sufficient in their own agriculture. And and I think I think the potential for for some significant impact is, is definitely there. Whether it will affect those governments, I don't know. But I would expect to see, if we're going to see unrest, I would expect to see it in a place like, like you know, India or certain communities in, in Africa where you have a, a lot of population pressure and, uh, and, and where they're on the margin already and shortfalls in, in agricultural production are going to have a direct and, and very dramatic impact. Well, when you have an, an economy, uh, Lou, I mean, that, look, right, last time I looked at this a long time ago, but we have an economy, say, like, like Gaza or someplace, where, you know, I think it's 40% of your males from age 18 to 35 are unemployed. And all of a sudden, there's whatever, whatever the sustenance living is, you can't, you can't, in other words, you can't, if you're making 20 bucks a day and you got four people in the family and all of a sudden now it's six bucks a day to feed a person, you got a problem, right? Uh, well, and you know what happens? They, they yeah. leave. That, that's what you saw in, in Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan and with that huge migration into Western Europe, what was it uh, eight or nine years ago? What well, it, even though it, it totally, we only got like a minute or two. You know, I'm sure this is more of a since uh, you know my criticism with the uh, and, and I don't think it's the the media necessarily. It's probably the the, the readers. Once something falls off the page, uh, you know you don't get any news from it whatsoever. I have not heard boo about Syria. In about two years, what is Syria like these days? Who controls what? Um, it it is my my last understanding is it is a series of tribal enclaves with uh, uh, Assad trying to exercise control back over it. Now that the Russians are occupied somewhere else, his principal benefactors are are not there, and so and so you've got a, a, a tribal a series of tribal enclaves where. There's very limited government control. Um, there's a lot of poverty, and uh, and a ton of, of people on the move because of of lousy everything. You know, sanitation, uh, job opportunities, food, water, and uh, and and I mean it's a it's a very unstable place. The Iranians have have moved in there in in, in force, which is one of the reasons why the Israelis and the Saudis are are so angry at the Biden people. And uh, and that's that, that that's an unstable area. So is Lebanon. So it's just besides still managed to hang in there though. Oh yeah, with Russian support. That's that was the 
that was why you saw the Russian the Russian weapons testing programs there, where they were basically, you know, carpet bombing uh, uh, these tri- these uh, cities where where there was uh, any kind of, of revolt or uh, or anti-Assad sentiment. Okay, so it's it's a mess. We just don't hear about it. Basically, it's a mess we're not hearing about right now. Yeah. All right, bud. Well, are you going to? Uh, you any more skiing left in you this year, or no? Uh, I may try to. I may try to get up one more. One more time. They uh, they've extended the seasons at uh, all of the resorts up along the I seventy corridor. Uh, now, are you a season pass guy? Do you got to run up and give me your one hundred and seventy five bucks, whatever the hell it is? Do you know? Do you know what uh, the uh, the Vail Resorts guys do for people who are military really? retirees? What it cost me? It cost me less to get a season pass at at Vail Breck. Uh, Keystone, uh, a number of other resorts up there. It costs me less to get a season pass than it does to go up there for a day. Wow! Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic deal. And you got to hang out with Catherine Bell too when you were a jag officer. God, never, never. I wanted to was going to congratulate you at some point because I had not heard a jag reference in like the last six months. <laughs> but you've just blown that up. I was I was changing the channel the other day and it, it flipped right by it. I go, hey, there's Lou. <laughs> oh God, not a, not on my best day. Oh God, <laughs> take care of yourself, but as usual, good stuff. Be right back, stocks and jags. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time decay for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They're located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body, too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Something happening here. 
Blood Orchid and Station Jacks. I'm Tom Alamies. Mr. Matt Weber on the board. SB Features now up 23. As if he was up 89, they're up a little bit more than that a while ago, but they're still up pretty much. We have Mr. Dan. Yes. How are you, bud? Hey, uh, quick question. This rally we've seen in the last week is A, start of another bull market, B, continuation of a bull market, C, bear market rally, D, the biggest sucker's rally you've ever seen. <laughs> uh, kind of, well, a little bit of all, I, I, I think. I mean, it, with, the, with the emphasis more on C and D, the, the last two, um, I think we're in a, um, I think this is a time to raise a little cash. Um, the, the main reason for that concern is um, higher rates, and then having the the cue from the the Fed uh, from Powell, who I think is always late to the game or has been very late to the game uh, about this acceleration and, and increasing rates. So that's certainly not going to be good for the market, and especially those parts of the market um, uh, like the Nasdaq, which have come under pressure pressure recently because of uh, the rise in rates. You know, the war is still uncertain. There's still some uncertainty there. I think the biggest negative is that it is absolutely going to have an economic impact, a negative economic impact in Europe, and we're a global society. I mean, the impacts overseas are definitely going to impact us more than they would have, you know, 30, 40 years ago. So we're, um, I am not as uh, bullish on the market, and I think um, I've been in a conference the last few days, and I've been talking to, you know, the CEOs of a number of companies in a number of different industries, but um, in particular manufacturing and e-commerce, and some companies that we've owned, um, and some that I've mentioned actually on the show, the uh, the biggest, you know, they're obviously still concerned about supply chain, and supply chain continues to be an issue. Um, they're in, obviously concerned about higher fuel costs, so pretty much every business um, has to deal with fuel costs. It's, you know, the people try to separate businesses out and say that they don't impact them, but they do to a certain degree. Um, there's uh, another, like, negative would be the, you know, the higher cost of raw materials for those manufacturing companies, um, and certainly higher rates. But the biggest problem, and I've been talking about this now for months, that all of these companies have and that they all uh, stress are labor issues. And it's not only having to provide more incentives to attract labor, which would be higher, you know, higher um, wages, but it's also the lack of people that are willing to come back to the workforce still. So that has slowed down uh, these businesses, and although I think that is going to be, uh, that's going to be temporary, first quarter results are not going to look like fourth quarter results. So when earnings start coming out um, from these companies, they're just, you know, they're not going to be as attractive. There's a, there's a lot of... Um, headwinds that are uh, out there right now, and when you hear the CEOs of companies telling you that, they're basically telling you, you know, to lower your expectations going forward. So that's where I come out on on uh, whether this market is, is um, you know, uh, overheated. Now, why it's, why it's rallying, and, and the reason that I think that there's, there's still, you know, some time here is that so much money was pumped into the system the last few years, and there's still a fair amount of cash um, out there, and it's whether it be PPP money or money that the Fed just kept pumping into the system. We're, we're, um, that's going to take a while to work its way through, but as inflation continues, and there's really no end in sight, I think, in the, in the short run here, um, 
as inflation continues, that's going to start bearing down a little bit. And I think hopefully more people will get back to work and, you know, some of the, the inflation will start to subside. But that's going to take a little time to get there. Um, Dan, we've got uh, <clears throat> all kinds of numbers flying all over the place. And uh, yeah. actually some of the... Uh, Got some of the stuff I never thought I'd remember. Um, economic things that have happened when, when, when you and I we, we talk about you know this oil spike. It it really is. Uh, I mean, I think you and I have known because I, I uh, without ask, ever asking you, I have a feeling you spent some time bored in economics class like I have. Uh, I mean, oil. We've we've known forever that oil is a, a somewhat inelastic in the short term. Matter of fact, very inelastic in the short term product. It's, but it's also very elastic in the long term. I mean, if you were to tell people, well, it's going to be $100 a barrel, uh, and for five years, I, I'll practically guarantee it. In five years, we'd have so much oil, we'd be swimming it, right? I mean, it's because, oh, yes. I mean, it's because we can go, we can find some for 100 bucks a barrel. We just, the ability of people to say it's going to, it's going to be $100. I mean, right now, would you take the chance of producing oil that costs you Thirty-five hours a barrel when a year and a half ago it was twenty-eight. I I don't know that I would, because you. I mean, I don't know if I could find investors to do that because they're going to say it was just there. I mean, what do you? What makes you think this is going to last forever? Type of thing. But it's interesting so, you talk about the labor market because I'm looking at the uh, the A one report here. I dig this out now. Carl tells me it's the wrong the wrong one, but I bet it's the one you look at too. I'm going to say as of February. We are almost exactly where we were, people in the labor market, people employed, where we were at the end of 2019. It's almost the exact same number. 2019 was 157,538,000, and now we're 157,722,000. So the idea that you know people aren't coming back to work, numbers-wise, they're back. Now, I think I think what's happening, and you tell me yes, yes or no, because of... The various interruptions with the tariffs and all the other stuff that came long before COVID, I think there is a demand now more for um, some uh, labor than there was in 2019 because some people are trying to make some stuff here that maybe was made elsewhere. Uh, maybe we have people returning to the oil patch. So I think labor is is very much in my mind because I, I actually took our course in labor economics is very much like oil. It's it's inelastic. And you, I think you saw that, again, I'm pontificating, I, I would love your opinion. Uh, well, you saw that when for 20 years all we did was give stuff, start buying more stuff from the Chinese and the Vietnamese and everywhere, and we dropped our, quote, demand for labor here by even a small amount, even if it was 5 to 8%, and we saw people not get a raise for friggin' 20 years, basically. I mean, right, and uh, so now I think just a little push the other way, we're finding out that the labor demand for labor, or, or you know, the, the, the labor supply is very inelastic, just like oil supply. And and for and when you see the Great Resignation, what that tells me is for twenty years, a hell of a lot of people have been wanting to say, "Take this job and shove it." And, and the minute anything else is available, they're gone. But I, I think the employers have had it all their own way for twenty years, and virtually ninety percent of all jobs. Now they're finding out that it's not just them, and it's a rude awakening. Absolutely, yeah. And and uh, you know, one of the things again that the managers were mentioning to me is competition. You know, and just the fact that individuals have options. 
So, so uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I know there's still s- some statistic out there that says there's 1.7 open jobs for the employable uh, population, you know, per person. So th- there's, um, you know, I still I think we still have this overflow, the supply chain issue, um, you know, and again, certain industries are going to get affected by it more than others, but I still believe that it's going to impact everyone um, because it. it Gonna, I think it's going to end up resulting, and in, in, until this issue gets resolved, I think it's going to end up resulting in a continued slowdown. Now, the other point I didn't mention about the slowdown is looking at the yield curve. And as a bond guy, you know, starting out as a bond guy, a bond manager in the business, um, when you start seeing some inversion, which we did at the beginning of COVID as well, um, you know, where the five-year yield is 240 and the 10-year is at 235, in other words, shorter yields um, uh, being higher than longer yields, that indicates, and it's always indicated, somewhat of a slowdown sometime down the road, not necessarily within the next few months, but within the next year or so that there will be some sort of slowdown. I think this trend continues because of the Fed mentioning, you know, the, this, the sort of acceleration in, in raising rates now. Um Yet there's still going to be somewhat of a flight to quality, which means that you're still going to have investors investing in longer-term treasuries. So the the yield curve, I think, is another indication of this slowdown. Again, I don't necessarily see it coming in the next the slowdown coming in the next few months, but I think there are more headwinds now in the market than there have been over the you know, including COVID. I really don't think COVID was as, as you know there was an exception made for that, but there was a lot of money pumped into the system at the same time. So we're we're in a different environment, a very different environment very quickly. And um, I think people need to adjust. And, and as you know, as well, we all know, well, Dan, why, uh, been slow to respond. They did the same thing on the other end. They, they sort of waited, and then all of a sudden, they, I think they pumped too much money in the system. And I think that, you know, the, the extreme... Um, you know the extreme view. You know the, their extreme measures. I think are um, at the wrong time, coming at the wrong time, maybe um, rather than just seeing sort of a gradual increase in rates over time, like we did on the when rates were coming down. We saw a gradual step down, and, and you know a gradual step up. I think is what keeps the economy stable. What? Uh, but it why? Gives people, it gives people time to adjust. All right. So my my question: um, If you just it's, instead of and, and by the way, I'm not accusing you of doing this. Instead of listening to, uh, how is this going to sound weird? Instead of listening to the Fed's, the Fed's BS and the people on TV's BS, if, if you and I are, are both managers of money and you're and you are in that sort of the area of, of or you're talking about yield curves and you're t- now, I'm going to say right now I'll put words in your mind and you can tell me what, what's, what are you doing putting words in my mind, my mouth. You're going to say that if if you're going to if you were going to in a in a real world, all right, you're going to say. Uh, hey, guess what? Um, if I'm going to lend you money for a year, I know the interest rate or the inflation rates. Let's say ten percent. Maybe it's nine. Maybe maybe it's eleven. But say ten. I want twelve percent for this year. And and and, and, and by the way, I'll, I'll I'll go with you on this one. That it's not going to be ten percent forever. Inflation. It's going to come down. We'll figure out a way to get it down, or we'll we'll you know, we'll clone Volcker, or we'll do something. Uh, and and I don't really think that it's over ten years. It's going to average ten percent a year. So I may say it's going to be six. So okay, I'm going to want twelve percent for this next year, but for a ten year note, I'm willing to do it for eight. Well, there there you have 
your inverted yield curve that makes absolute sense right now because those are the cards we have been dealt by somebody. So the idea yeah, that you know, I mean, right? I, right? I mean, what, how else can you interpret it? No, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. We're we're you know we we can see um, us moving in that direction. I mean, it, it's a fairly clear picture looking ahead that that's that that's what's going to happen, and and um, you know. It, it's it's interesting that we have that sort of clarity right now, but I think it's also the time to, since we do have that clarity, the time to, um, you know, if we sit, you know, if we're raising a little bit of cash, but we think in time, you know, bonds will become a good investment again. Short term, again, is going to look attractive. I mean, we're not going to get the kind of, you know, 20% returns that we got back in the early 80s, but, but there is going to be a time when cash becomes an okay investment, CDs become an okay investment again because you're going to finally start seeing a little bit of return. It's not going to happen right away, but I'm saying probably a year or so from now or within the next year we're going to see rates going up. So people ask, what do you do in this environment in terms of investing? And, you know, I've mentioned a few times that high yield has become more attractive, high yield bonds, um, even in the short end. You're getting paid more than 6% on average, whereas... Just a few months ago, you were getting paid less than four percent on average. So there, you know, credit quality-wise, we're talking about higher quality high yields um, bonds, and you know, we're not talking about a recession here. I think a slowdown is very different than a recession. Um, what I'm what I'm looking at is is more of a slowdown. So I've mentioned the name Amtrust Financial in the past. You know, it's a good industry to be involved in right now. Um, their bonds they have six and an eighth coupon that are due in August of twenty three which now makes them just, you know, a year and a few months, and you're still getting paid 6%. So that's a decent investment in this environment, and even though rates will go higher because of, um, you know, the the short maturity, you're not going to have that um, fluctuation in the price of the bonds. Dan, what do you figure in terms of time, I'll, I'll say time break even, uh, we just went, like you said, from 4 to 6 in some of these areas. Now, if if this one's... Say a year and a half, and it's going to be redeemed. Now, if it goes from six to eight in the next—I don't—I don't see this happening this quick, but in the next few months, what's your time? I'm going to say a year and a half would be sort of where I am. That you're, you're going to say I'm not going to get hurt on this one that bad. I mean, maybe I could have caught another percent exactly. for the last yep. six months. You hit it right on the head, and and then from that point, then you'll be able to reinvest at a higher rate. Right, you know, rather than the way we've the way it's been going for the last decade, or reinvesting at a lower rate, now we'd be able to re- reinvest at a higher rate. And all the names I've mentioned in the past, I still think, um, you know, like the the Blue Knight preferred, the Chicken Soup for the Soul Entertainment preferred. You're still getting close to, you know, your dividend yields on those are going to be nine and ten percent. So, so in the next year, I still like those names. Uh, what about re- the storage like, guys? You like the storage guys still? Self storage, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And again, those industries. Every industry is going to be impacted, but they're going to probably be impacted less by by some of the you know the geopolitical um, issues that are going on. Are I do have one new name that I want to mention, and it's a company I've gotten to know over the last year. That's actually local here in, in Southwest Florida. They're based in Fort Myers, and they're called Alico. A L I A L C O is the ticker symbol. And I kind of wish I had mentioned it last week. We had started buying it a few weeks ago. After I met with management and they, they, um, the stock was up 9% yesterday, but I still think it has more to go. They're, they're a, they're in the agri, uh, business. Um, they do citrus 
but their main business actually is land uh, conservation. They own uh, 84,000 acres in this part of Florida, in southwest Florida, and they've been selling off that land, and they're going to make acquisitions, but they're getting prices that are literally double of what they were a year ago. So so this is a company that's well-positioned. Um, they do have some risk to some of the issues I was mentioning before on the, on the um, citrus side with, you know, certainly... Um, Finding help, and then the cost of um, the cost of fuel, but not as much um, on their land side. In fact, not at all on the land side. There's there's still a lot of demand here for uh, property and land. So this is a company that pays a six percent dividend. Um, so I think it's a, again a fairly stable play in here. Again, I'm I'm just mentioning names that are that are you know income uh, generating names as opposed to. Uh, you know, one-off stocks that might be good investments in here as well. But this name is, um, you know, it, it performed very well yesterday, for example. It tends to perform well when the market is down. Um, it's, it's been a good um, alternative investment um, in an environment that's been um, very volatile, as, as, as you know. Yeah, and I think your your idea of staying short really has, uh, in short duration, and, and zeroing in on the preferreds, because they're probably going to hang in there. What it, are you kind of surprised? I'm shifting gears on you. Are you kind of surprised in the last couple of days when the market runs back up as it has in the last couple of weeks? Uh, how much stomach there still is for this momentum trading? I kind of thought that got wrung out of people a little bit, but it it hasn't. I mean, look at the the GameStops yesterday and the AMC's and these companies. That I think are why anybody you know whatever don't don't short them on my account but i'm just saying it's not something i would put my people in maybe my people are just too conservative i don't know but i just the yeah. idea of it, it it's almost like if uh you know dan janitas comes out and said boy i got this guy making turtle eggs and it was up 20 percent yesterday everybody wants to buy it today i don't even know what it is i, mean, I kind of thought yeah. that we had wrung that out of the system a little bit but i'm not so sure we have well, well you know it's interesting <clears throat> i agree with you 100 percent, and i have the same concern and, and and this is why I'm mentioning it might not be a bad time to raise cash because the, 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 the these names that have been driven and the market that's been driven by the mean stocks and all of that, um, you and I have been in the business for so long, so we have seen the ups and downs. But a lot of investors have gotten in more recently. So think of somebody who's retired in a different industry that has a little extra time that says, hey, you know, this is fun and this is easy. Well, remember, the market's gone up over the past decade, you know, 13, 14 years, and it hasn't been that hard to make money. And you can ride along with the momentum um, wave and and look like a genius, you know, if, if you get in at the right time. So people have to remember, though, just like I remember years ago hearing the, the discussion about how real estate never goes down and then buying a property and my first real estate investment in Boston went down in the, you know, after the late 80s, the crash in the late 80s. But there's... there's um, the market will go down and it will, you know, there will be, you know, we will revert back to the fundamentals. This is the later stage in the cycle. And in a later stage, you know, momentum stocks tend to do well. And now maybe there are more people, more individuals that feel confident because they've made money in these investments and they've watched them go up. So they, they keep thinking, hey, this is going to happen again and again. I agree with you 100%. This is not the time to be doing that, this is the time to be sticking in the kinds of investments that we have that are more conservative, that are going to protect principle. And if, if you know, I've been very optimistic, I think, for the last few years on the show, but I think now I see more more headwinds than I than I've seen in the last few years. So, 
we might, I might be a little early in saying that there might be a little more momentum, you know, coming, you know, coming into the market um, for a period of time here. But at some point, those people will realize that things correct, and there's a, um, uh, this, you know, things don't go go up forever. Well, so Dan, have we have a direction to have a healthy market. As you know, we have uh, actually we have some common clients, but uh, you know that uh, we try and separate. Thank God, uh, we try and separate. If somebody wants, this is in like yes. one of the one of the places I do business with. If if somebody says, "I want you to manage," you know, my money and some protected from this, you know, but we have, uh, you know, I've got like, you know, my my Apple, my Nvidia, my Amazon, my Google, the ones that I'm, I'm always going to have till I till I die or something. I say, okay, well, let's put those in a separate account. Those aren't me, <laughs> you know. Right, yeah. you, you, you don't want to protect them. You don't want to do anything. Uh, those aren't me, and, and and that's you really need to do that because you can't count that against what you're doing. Um, and so, uh, two weeks ago, it almost doesn't matter if it's not you. The phone calls start coming. Well, right. my my account's down. Well, but but Nvidia and Apple, that all your losses are there. Uh, yeah, but. Uh, you're my money manager. Yeah, but you told me that under no circumstances am I supposed to protect those those positions. And by the way, that's the bulk of your account. Yeah, but still, like you should have done so. Well, okay, but, but now that they're back up, we've we've forgotten all about two weeks ago. It's right. Uh, no, now, but now the, the conversation should be okay. It's back up here. Do you want to do something now so that doesn't happen again? No. What do you mean? I I did what they told me on TV. I didn't. I I wasn't the shoe clerk that got out. I I just I just hold, held my nose through the, the whatever whatever caused this little rough patch in in our market that's always going up. And I, I you know, Dan, I listen to this stuff. I just I can't even. I mean, it, it's 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 not a stack. It's a religion. And and yeah. And believe me, it's not it's not a religion. It's they don't care about you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I just totally, yeah, I absolutely agree, and I've seen the same thing, and I've actually mentioned the same thing to some some clients. This is if you want to, you know, have a more aggressive. That's not my style. My style. We're we're up two percent this year, so I'm happy with our return relative oh, to the market. That's, but that's exactly where I am but, in my protect my protected program. Yeah, and and but I, but I say that you know I'm here to you know preservation of capital is is part of our objectives here. This is the, our style of management. Income is. A large piece of it, and then growth. And if you want to do speculative stuff, um, I would recommend you set up an account on your own. And so, a lot of I think a lot of people have looked at it and said, "Hey, I've been able to make money here, here and there um, on my own, and I've ridden these names up, and they still like they seem like they keep going up." You know, we know as managers, you either you either provide protection the way you do in terms of um, you know using options, or you. You um, start trimming the right. names run up, which is what what I tend to do is is um, rebalancing and trimming. And, and you know, it, it, it's hard sometimes to trim stuff that's done so well, but but it's also the best time to to trim it after it's done well. Dan, so Dan, you just said you know, that's how you you build alpha in yep. your portfolio, and and uh, it is hard sometimes to say that. I did hear a com- comment. I think it was yesterday from Carl Icahn saying that people have to realize that the stock market is in the casino. And I think he basically was sort of mimicking what, what you're saying, what we're saying right now, that it's, you know, especially if you're using it for retirement money, 
um, because it doesn't go, it, you know, it doesn't go to, doesn't just keep going up and up. There, there are it is a, know, forces in the market that will that you know we have to pay attention to. It's a reflection of the fact that you can't get any money just in risk-free assets. You can't just get three percent in the bank. You you have to play the game, and it, and when everybody in there, but you know I. It's changing, though. Well, that's going to change. Well, yeah, I just hope none of my people get hurt in the meantime, but I don't know if that's going to happen. But you know what you just said is, is very interesting. Uh, it is, it's one of the hardest things that you and I do in our in our business. And Let's say you get Matt Weber comes in with, you know, $5 million bucks and he wants to be diversified, okay? So we say, all right, we're not going to put $2 million in, you know, in two stocks and a million in the other. Let's let's be, be simple. And we're going to say we're going to put... 500,000 in 10 different stocks. We're going to pick 10 we think are, are long-term keepers. Well, guess what, Dan? No matter if you and I are Harry Houdini, at the end of the year, there's going to be a few that are down. There's going to be a few that are up some. And you're going to have one or two, hopefully, we have one or two that, like, double or something. I mean, maybe right. not double up 50%. Well, the next year when you have your review, you know, you're going to talk to people more than once a year, obviously, but say you have your annual review, the first thing you're going to say is, well, Matt, the first thing we have to do is is the stock that has doubled, which is now a million dollars of a five million dollar portfolio. Uh, well, we don't want anything to be a million dollars of a five million dollar portfolio, so we're going to sell some of that and we're going to you know sprinkle it around either these other ones or pick a couple new ones. Well, Matt's first reaction is going to be, "Wait a minute, we're <laughs> selling the winner. What's the matter right. with you?" Right? I right mean, exactly. It, yeah. it, but but but. That's- but that's sort of what you have to do because it's now it's too big of a chunk. You're no longer at least you have to say to yourself, "I'm I'm losing my diversification here, and I know I'm doing it, and I'm okay with it." Which you know, I you well, know. absolutely, and, and and that's the discipline in the the the, the biz, in our business that that I, I I think a lot of investors don't understand. Um, that's the discipline, and that's why people like you and I have been through been around for for several decades. So we we have seen the ups and downs, and we've weathered the ups and downs, and we're still here. But, so and that that comes from experience, and that's something that really can't be you know that can't all of that experience that we have over the years being focused in this business you know for for such a long time, uh, day in and day out, and even on the weekends when we're yeah. thinking about the, the markets, um, that can't really be replaced, and that's what helps clients in downturns. Right. Uh, but which would you rather do? Listen to you and me, or buy AMC two days ago at fourteen and sell it at twenty one a day later? I, I hear you. You know, <laughs> we, we uh, I guess we sound boring, but I think we're gonna. You know, I think people are gonna realize. Like I'm saying, within the next year or so, we're gonna see some. You know, some. I agree. Uh, some additional correction, and it's gonna be it's gonna be time for, to to really pay attention to um, preserving what they have earned. Well, I love the fact that you're digging up some guys paying like six and a half percent. Now that sounds more like it, doesn't it? Yes, absolutely. Take care of yourself, buddy. Talk at you next week. SP yeah. Futures up 15. I'm going to say only up 15. Uh, Nasdaq Futures up 58. They were up in the mid-1s a while ago, but still up. We'll be right back, Stocks and Jackson. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading 
trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know. All while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities. They play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification, or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome back, Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Thomas, Matt Weber on the board. S&P futures now up 19. Uh, we just had a uh, the. Uh, Continuing claims were down a bunch from last week, man. They were like 45,000. Um, so we got the SP futures up, uh, 19, 18.75 to flop, flopping around here a little bit. NASDAQ up 71. Uh, so we're having a pretty good morning, although it's not as, as good as it was a little while ago, but it's still pretty good. The, um, oh, the Dow's up, uh, 110. Individual stocks in the Dow, uh, I got Boeing up a buck. Uh, did you, Manny, I did not catch it this morning. Did you uh, catch any of the news on what caused that plane to go down? They've had the black box, but I've not heard a report of you. I have not. Because Boeing is not, not I don't think, uh, people don't think it had anything to do with the with, with the build. So we'll see. if I, It doesn't sound like it does, but planes don't usually just fall out of the sky without something weird happening. But we will see. I don't think it's out yet. Uh, DAX down 29.2%. FTSE down, uh, up a point. Call that flat. Kick around down 9.1. So Europe uh, quiet and uh, kind of mixed. Asia, Nikkei up 70, Shanghai down 20, it's 0.6%, Hang Seng down 208, that's 0.9%. Uh, Hang Seng was way up yesterday on, uh, on uh, a couple of individual stocks going up. But the real story in the Hang Seng, and really to a certain extent here in high tech, has been the SEC's flipping and flopping on these 
Chinese stocks like the Baidu and Tencent. First, they're going to put them all out of business. And everybody on TV said, you don't want any part of those stocks. Now they're up like 50% in, a, in like five days because they cut some kind of a deal where they're all okay now, which is really bizarre. Uh, yesterday, Dow was down 448. S&P's down 55. NASDAQ's down 186. So I'm going to say we're halfway back there, just about across the uh, well, at least in the S&P we are. Uh, anyway, bonds. Uh, Ten years up almost six six basis points now, 2.38. The bond up five basis point, point five three. A long time, uh, you know, a, lo- a long way from zero, from below zero over there, which we were for a damn near a decade. Uh, Japan up two basis points, point two five, highest we've seen that like in a long, long, long time. Uh, oil is uh, down 38 cents. West Texas 114.55. Brent down 27, 121.33. Natural gas unchanged 523. Our Bob is down a penny. 341, uh, and we've got gold up $10 now to 1947. Silver up 24 cents, 2543. Copper up one cent, 478. Maybe how many of your buddies are down on the free gas lines? Uh, I doubt any, <laughs> but who knows? Are there, none of those are on the south or north side, are they? Oh yeah, they're all over. Really? There's probably uh, eight or ten spots on both sides of the city. And you weren't supposed to show up till seven. And when I first heard the news this morning at like 4.30, they were already lined up. That's right. 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. We're seeing traffic build steadily on the Edens in Kennedy. Uh, we have some kind of rainy, dark conditions in the area that's uh, contributing to the slow travel time. Same for the Eisenhower. Southside expressways are starting to build as well. But no accidents to report on any of the expressways, so that's good news. Uh, we do have an issue just off I-80 on the eastbound side near Joliet at, at Richard Street. That's exit 133. Uh, there's a pothole that's partially blocking the exit ramp in the right lane. So that's causing a little bit of a backup as you try to get off of I-80 there. Uh, but that's it for the expressways. Off the expressways, Route 53 uh, and Illinois 7, which is Renwick Road. There's an accident blocking the left lane. And then north of there in the western suburbs, North Avenue at Kingery Highway, there is a crash. Uh, but everything else is all quiet out there. There are a lot of lines, like Chief mentioned, at these various gas giveaways. Um, so if there's one in your area, there will be some extra traffic on those side streets, but not affecting the expressways. Weather today, rain and clouds in the forecast. And it's been this way the last couple of days, and it'll continue this way for the next week, it looks like, uh, with cold temperatures to go along with it. Today, uh, rain with a high of 46, but that's where we are right now. The temperatures will be dropping this afternoon into the 30s, and we'll be in the 30s all weekend. Right now it's overcast and 45, uh, and we'll kind of, kind of stay right here. For our Phoenix listeners, sunny with a high of 86 today. Right now it's clear and 56. In sports, Bulls were off last night. They'll play down in New Orleans tonight against the Pelicans. That's a 7 p.m. tip-off. Suns beat the T-Wolves 125-116. to 116. In hockey, Blackhawks beat the Ducks 4-2. to two. Coyotes were off. And the NCAA tournament resumes tonight with uh, the first four games of the Sweet 16. Uh, that will see Gonzaga versus Arkansas, Villanova versus Michigan, Duke versus Texas Tech, and Arizona versus Houston. Jake, the uh, United Center games are tomorrow night, though, right? That's right. What is the... Uh, hey, Jan, how are you? I'm fine, Tom. How about you? All right. I, uh, but since uh, our man Matty Weber is here one day a week, uh, i got to grill you here, Matty. So, so let me... i got to ask you about the Bulls. i got to ask you about... The Cubs. I got to ask you about the guy in the Bears who didn't pass the physical after he was going to be the second coming. Uh, and how how do they work these tickets at the United Center now? Do you if you 
do you have to buy them for all three games, or can you buy individual games, or what do they do? Do they, they kick the crowd out and then bring them back? They didn't used to. I mean, how, how do they work at these days? Good question. As far as I know, j- just based on what I watched last week, which was obviously not at the United Center, but it was at the other venues across the country, uh, you bought tickets for the whole session. So I don't. I assume they separated a morning and an afternoon session for you know for the regions that had. Uh, a lot of games and uh, you would see fans uh, of a team that already lost still sit or won uh, still sitting there for a, a later game so they obviously had tickets to, bo- to multiple games I assume it'll be the same okay and then uh, will, will the, the Sunday ticket be separate or yes it's per it would be per day all right so but if everybody buys one for Sunday uh, obviously you're not going to get as well I guess you Half the people aren't going to want to go. Well, maybe they will. I don't know. I mean, well, I think if you if you decide to buy Friday and Sunday, uh, which you don't have to do, but if you s- decide to do that, you're confident your team's going to win and your team loses, um, I imagine some will still go anyway because it's pretty cool to go to an Elite Eight game, I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and I think uh, a lot of people will sell their ticket. And we see that all the time at these c- tournaments. Okay. Well, that, ma- that makes sense. What about uh, what has happened to our Bulls? They, they look awful to me. Well, it's been a combination of a couple of things, and they have been awful. Um, they're three and seven in their last ten, and have really struggled post All Star break. And, and it's for two reasons: one, uh, they're really uh, straining because of all the injuries they've had, and then two, the competition's been a lot harder. The, they they had the toughest strength of schedule uh, for the second half. We knew that at the All Star break that things were going to be difficult, and it's really shown. They've had to play. The defending champion Bucks multiple times. The Heat, uh, who are a, a favorite to make noise. The Sixers, and then a lot of the good Western Conference teams. And they're not beating up on those mid-level and bad teams like they were in the first half. And they're probably somewhere, you know, as the 8th or 10th best team in the league. And when they play the top 10 teams, they're losing. When they play the bottom 20 teams, they're winning. And that's probably about where they are. Now, that said, they did get Patrick Williams back the other night. Uh, they got Caruso back a couple weeks ago. And then uh, Lonzo Ball, they may not get back for the regular season. Yeah, I saw that. He had a setback. So Well, Caruso's back, so there's one guy playing defense. That Yeah, that helps. And Patrick Williams is a really good defender, too. So hopefully you pair those guys together and you can play some defense because their defense has really struggled. Um, and, uh, yeah, th- I just think it's it's a combination of those two things. So maybe this is who they really were all along, which is right now they're the five seed in the East. And maybe that's what they were when we thought earlier in the year they might be a top two or three seed. Now it looks like maybe they're a five or a six. So well, we'll last see. night, last night the other the other guys score every time down the court, and the Bulls score once in a while. Well, yeah, they're <laughs> on the road against the defending yeah. champions. I mean, the Milwaukee's a lot better than them. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's kind of bizarre world. But John, I uh, uh, kind of what about the uh, the Cubs? I I, th- I talked to my uh, one of my clients yesterday who happens to be a a Seattle guy, and he's. He's he's very gung ho in Seattle, so they got a bunch of young guys, and they're going to be really good this year. That well, true? they have the they have the defending Cy Young Award winner, which doesn't hurt. Yeah, and, and uh, they had a really good young team last year, so they, yeah, they've they've added some pieces. They're I think they're expected to be a division winner. I can't believe that those guys are in the same uh, they're in the same division as Houston. Yeah, the American League West. Can he, can when he Houston be, switched over to the American League, what was that, 10 years ago? Can he be like further that. away? Well, the Texas Rangers are in that division as well, in Dallas. So it's okay. it's basically the two Texas teams um, are both in that division, along with uh, Seattle and uh, Angels, the be. former Anaheim, now the Los Angeles Angels. Yeah, uh, just just four teams, right? Well, they're, 
there's going to be some somewhat ex- excitement in baseball. I guess they're all really. There's sp- one other team, uh, Oakland A's. That's right. That's right. The Billy Ball team. The, yes. Uh, well, yeah, but that's a that's got to be a what a, a four hour flight, five hour flight, Seattle to Houston. That's a ways. It is. Yeah, it's uh, it definitely is. Well, anyway, John, uh, how are you? I'm fine, Tom. Going along. I've been uh, having a spirited debate with your friend Kevin. Uh, regarding and Lou actually to a certain extent regarding the and Mr. Weber on the way in this morning uh, regarding the NCAA Supreme Court decision all those kinds of things and I I know I come at this in a, in a totally different direction that nobody understands and, I, and it's probably wrong uh, but I'm I'm in an industry that had a pretty straight game when it came to trading securities in my opinion options and stocks and. They defined, you know, the the competitive marketplace as somewhere where the buyers and sellers met, and it was considered to be uh, very good. If, if in the OEX where I traded, sixty to seventy percent of all the trades were customer to customer, and the market makers really only there for about thirty percent of the trades when there wasn't somebody on the other side. There was a serious order book where you had priority. The 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 the, the system in my opinion, was much more honest, much straighter, not even close to what it is today. But you allowed people to have competition, and they said, okay, but the competition now is going to be between exchanges, which basically kicked out all the regulatory requirements of any consequence. Well, now the, the, the brokers, instead of what happened was they started getting paid by the other side, by people other than their customer. PTI doesn't do this, but... If you if you do a trade through Schwab or these other people, they're going to get their most of their money is going to be from payment for order flow. So you are not when you say you get free commissions, they're they're, they're not, you're not, you're just not paying the person on the other side who's benefiting from your order. He's paying. So it changed the whole nature of the beast to the point where you think you're the customer and you're not. The customer is the person who's doing the paying. And and I, with that as my background, I see this stuff going on with the Supreme Court, and uh, you know everybody can get money for their likeness, which by the way I agree with. You know somebody shouldn't be banned from you know modeling flannel shirts in the summertime just because you're you're a college football player. Now, if the modeling comes down where here's here's Matt Weber, quarterback from Illinois, and that's all over the ad. Well, now there's another problem of who who exactly are you selling? Are you selling yourself? Are you selling Illinois football? And whose trademark is it? I mean, there's all kinds of issues in there. But I just get the idea that now that we've let this horse out of the barn, I don't want it to land like my industry, to where 10 years from now, 90% of the money that's being paid by two players are being paid from people that aren't even, that aren't the universities, they're not the coaches, they're not anybody, they're, they're all these people that nobody can control. And it just lands in a spot that nobody ever even imagined. And I, and I know when I'm having a debate with pretty intelligent guys, Maddie and Kevin and Lou, since I can't define where it liable to end up that's all bleeped up, it's hard to win, but I've seen an industry where it's landed where it's all bleeped up. And it just gets there when, when there's no kind of control on it. And I don't know, where do you, how, how crazy am well, I? Well, I don't, I don't have a lot of confidence that, you know, in the move to make, you know, players, you know, freer and more masters of their image and to get the benefit of whatever their, their expertise happens to be, I think this is likely to have 
probably the opposite effect in the long run. It may increase the value of what they have um, as a skill, but it, but it is also going to increase the power that people above them want to exercise over that. And now, essentially, if you have a, a player who doesn't have that kind of value because they, they can't endorse or they can make you know, recommendations, whatever, um, you give them that freedom, you don't really make them any freer. You just make them somebody that is likely to be more of a pawn in a much bigger struggle. And I don't see this being good for the individual players, first of all. And I think it's likely to just, you know, probably you turn this into a lot more of a crass enterprise than it already is. And I suspect in the long run it's going to just devalue your players generally. They're, they're going to be less and less of a force um, as players and more of just, you know, income-producing agents for somebody that's much bigger and much le- less, you know, involved in the sport and much more cynical about it, too. So who benefits? Well, not the players, I guess. Well, you wonder... And maybe not, not the educational institutions either, so... Well, you, you wonder, and, and the top end, I mean, the example uh, uh, Kevin always uses, the young lady who played uh, basketball for Notre Dame. Spectacular girl. You know, I mean, nothing but A's. Beautiful. She ended up on uh, dancing with the stars or something, and she wasn't dancing with one of, the, one of us. That's for sure. I mean, w- I mean, why shouldn't she be able to do that? The answer is yes, she should. I mean, I, I, mean, I, have, I have no issue with that at all. You know, and I honestly don't. And I don't like somebody taking some Maddie Weber's face and putting it on a, a video game where Maddie can't get paid for. It. I think that's horrible. So I'm, I'm with it up to there. I just, I just get to a point where I'm, I'm I just smelling a rat here somewhere. John, and, 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 and could a booster be a guy who's a, a gambler? I don't know. I, I, sure. I mean, what, what's the stop that? Yeah, what's, and, that's what I'm saying. What's the stop that? worse. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, mean, I guess, but I'm, so I'm, I'm confident that I'm, I'm losing the debate with both Kevin and, and, and Maddie because I can't define my, my fears of where it's going to land, yet I know they're legit. So I don't know where, where does that put me. You know, you know the, the, the thing, it, it really seems... And I'm with you too. I mean, I, it's, I think it's morally right to, to give these people, you know, some say over their image. But ultimately, all it does is draw more money into the enterprise. And of course, once you do that, you are likely to draw more uh, speculation through gambling and, and fixing and everything else that comes along with that when the money becomes so attractive to people who are completely detached from the teams and the schools. Um, it's pretty hard to control that kind of monster, and I, I just see it ultimately, you know, kind of discrediting color sports. And well, it's I already, mean, I mean, they've already changed in such radical ways from what they used to be, and necessarily, I'm not, I'm not calling for a return to the past, but I think we're going to turn it into something just as crass and just as and probably you know, potentially crooked as pro sports. Well, and, you, and I, point, I hate to see that happen, but you know, I don't think we can stop that either. No, I just. I mean, I don't. I, I have no, I have no problem, and actually, I'm pretty convinced that since it's a full time job at these colleges for everybody, I'm the, the girls' fencing team is that's a full time job now. It's not it's not your extracurricular activity that you you do for a couple of months for laughs. I mean, it's we're, we're way beyond that. So the idea that that these people shouldn't be getting paid, you're not going to get me to go there. I mean, I, they surely should be getting paid. My concern is I don't want it to turn into the securities industry. Where the payment is by people that we don't even know. Right. I mean, if, if the university wants to pay the quarterback or, or should pay the quarterback two hundred grand a year, 
I, I don't have any problem with that because they're making ninety bazillion dollars a game. What I don't want is the hundred eighty of the two hundred coming from some booster who happens to own a, a sports betting group. I, you know, I don't know how you def- I don't know how you stop that. And you can't stop it, Tom. I mean, you know, I think even you know, whatever happened with with all of this and the Supreme Court, I think you still got the same problems facing college sports. It, it isn't as if you know this is, is has really much to do with sports like behavior anymore. It's all about you know making the most money and getting the best TV exposure and you know, airplay or whatever else, it's become too important to schools and, you know, their their sort of spheres of influence, their endowments and everything else to, to just be kind of, you know, uninvolved in this. But by, you know, now pushing it to the next level, I think you, you, you just continue a process that's already become somewhat irreversible and it's just going to be a, you know, maybe a faster and a more precipitous decline in the kind of attractiveness these sports have always had. I think it will it will make people a lot more cynical about, about what's really going to happen here, and um, you're going to see more and more money chasing you know people who are you know going to be wrapped in for their allegiance to a school when they're not really the ones calling the shots anymore, and it has nothing to do with those fan bases. It's all about you know it's it's just trading at a, at a very you know distant level. I'd hate to see the long-term effect of that, but I think we, you know, as you say, you got it already you know, in front of you in the markets, and it's it's not, you know, I don't think there's too many things that are immune from it when you start throwing around that kind of money. Well, John, when so, you when you look at the, there will be people. I mean, you want to get a vehement argument, and you talk about say football or basketball, mostly football. Uh, you know, not being, in my opinion. I mean, I, I don't. I don't think in the long run it's it's worth a crap in terms of money for a university, big time. But yet, I, I know that people can put examples in front of me that say, you know, Texas A and M wins the national championship, which they haven't done in a long time, if they ever have. Uh, and uh, actually, did they win when Bear Bryant was there? Oh, way, way, way back, Manny. Did they, was A and M a national champion? They may have. I they might, they might have been. Uh, boy, it's possible. Because yeah. I, I don't remember the the uh, was it the Junction Boys? Did they end up winning the? I don't. I don't remember. But they, I think they won the Southwest Conference that year at least. But the uh, so you, you, I'm sure you can point to years where the football team did really well, and the donations increased over the three or four years before. And I mean, it, you could use that sort of statistic. A and M football claims three national titles. Three, but, really? But okay. they were way back in the day: nineteen nineteen, yeah. nineteen twenty-seven, and nineteen thirty-nine. Oh, so it wasn't the when no. the Junction Boys? Okay, uh, they did pretty good though. But right? they've won they like? many conference titles. Okay, Southwestern Conference. Uh, they've won seventeen Southwestern Conference titles, one Big Twelve title, and now they're in the SEC. What year? What year was the Junction Boys? It was a long, long time ago. It was, it was uh, got it. I bet it was fifties, right? Fifties, I think. Yeah, because he was he was in Alabama for. How long? God, forever, right? And it was A and M before. It then. was the nineteen fifty four season. Junction Boys. Oh, Jesus! Well, but the uh, any. But I, mean, I don't remember that time. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't <laughs> I, I remember the movie. Well, I remember that Jack Pardee was one of the Junction Boys. He's a lot older than us, right? Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, yeah, wow, like like twenty some years. Huh? Um, anywho, the uh, where was I going? What I'm saying is the you, you can make those kinds of of re- assessments. And say that it's really important for your donations, and yet you look at the top, you know, ten or fifteen schools and endowments, 
and some of them football's nothing in Chicago or Dartmouth and those kinds of places. So, kind of depending on where you look, again, you come up with a different answer, right? Which right. Is, I mean, there's, there's universities that have you know, been able to, you know, develop, you know, a whole area of, of prominence and expertise without reference to sports. But they're, you know, I would say that's, you know, those are very special cases, all of them, and the the schools that depend on even minimal visibility of their programs, just because of their histories or the kind of people that, that those programs produced that made it big later on, and they've got some name recognition, they really hunger for that kind of continued exposure, and they want more of it in most cases. So you're right, you don't absolutely have to have it, but the schools that have any kind of a crack at it have to really be aggressive about it. Well, so being that, I mean, that, that could be good for sports overall if, if you had that kind of you know, competitiveness in recruiting and in exposure. But, you know, I think it's, it's going to turn into a, a competitive sport of a completely different kind. Well, it's, it's moving more toward, I mean, it, I mean, as Rick Tallender said in his book, which he must have wrote, God, how many years ago, just just forget it. Have have it be a, a Notre Dame sponsored professional team. <laughs> you know, where where the the and, and just that's just what you do. And whether they go to school or they don't, who cares? I mean, it's another professional level. And maybe they have a you know a, uh, an actual football team of people just try out from the dorms and play other body, everybody else on a club level. Right, or you sell shares in the team, or you know, divide up portions of it, or whatever, and just get investors in to run the thing, and it, it has the, the university name attached to it, but the control and you know the running of it is somewhere else. So well, yes, the, I mean, that's, that's kind of where it, it goes anyway. I mean, there's, I think there's a real split in, in most universities you know, between the way their sports programs function and the way the academic ones function. They, they tend to bleed together. In some cases, but overall, um, they're somewhat competitive against each other. I mean, just as you have schools that have a, you know, a medical school, they're trying to get the rest of the university to support the medical school, or they're trying to get the rest of the school to support the football team yeah, or yeah. whatever else. So there's, there's this competition for dollars within the institution that you know grouses a lot of people and, and, and makes it you know well, harder sometimes to develop these. Well, you're, it really does. It keeps you involved. It's a reason for, right. uh, you know, Maddie's lovely bride to get together with her girlfriends to watch Iowa because they, they went to Iowa. It's a reason for us to get together for a Notre Dame game, which we probably wouldn't otherwise. And what are we going to do if we all went to Harvard? We, we we go and have a beer when we get another Supreme Court person <laughs> on the border. <laughs> I, I got a story about that. Yeah. Remember the Tom Lehrer song, Fight Fiercely Harvard? He, he, he yeah. writes, <laughs> yeah. writes a fight song for Harvard. <laughs> it's just a <defeat> idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I Well, it certainly keeps alumni involved. And by the way, I love it. I mean, I enjoy it. I mean, I, oh yeah, it, it's, I, it's crucial for um, for your donor base and for your you know getting you know the kind of students that you want who aren't going to you know raise a ruckus, who are kind of trained in the culture of the institution. If if it's a fraternity school or a sorority school, that, you know they've been raised in that kind of environment. They know it. They respect it long before they ever get there, and they're they're very proud to be in it again. Those students generally cause you less trouble oh, yeah. and bring you more glory than the ones who don't give a darn about any of that stuff. So, you know, it just makes good sense to get those kind of people who are acculturated to you. Dan, we got a dash, but SB Futures up 21, NASA Futures up 87. Uh, thank you. Uh, 
Tomorrow will be tomorrow. Hey, by the way, we're going to have Angelica calling in tomorrow. I'll be listening. Yeah, because yeah. uh, we're talking about what's going on in Ukraine, and Kevin wants to talk to her about how the communications even all still working over there, which should be would be really interesting tomorrow. Uh, anyway, so I'm looking forward to tomorrow's yeah, show. And on Monday, I want to bring up Harvard again in connection with Katanji you know, Brown J- Jackson too. Because you're just <laughs> I mad. Got some thoughts on that. You're just mad they didn't let you in. What can I say? Spare me. Back tomorrow, stocks and jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.